we think long term. We want to build relationships with uh, the properties. We want to build relationships with our guides. Hello, I'm Steve Class with the business breakthrough you've been waiting for. We're here taking service businesses to a million dollars and beyond. Let's see what kind of impact the next 30 minutes will have on your life and your business. What is going on, everyone? All right, get ready to fasten your seatbelts. Um, I just had a great conversation with my dear friend, Scott Brills. He is the owner and the dynamic personality behind Pomoja Safaris. Scott isn't just fluent in Japanese and a world traveler, but he was living this digital nomad uh, lifestyle way back in 2002 before it was cool and before really technology made it possible. We're going to dive deep into how Scott applies his diverse experiences and global perspective to the operational nitty gritty of his business. Expect insights on recruiting the right talent, leveraging video marketing to, to distinguish your service and delivering customer service that keeps clients coming back and again and again for more. So get ready for a really wild ride and a great conversation. So without further ado, let's get started. What is going on, everyone? I'm here with my man, Scott Brills. Um, I've known him for a couple of years now. I met him at uh, Camp Indy, sponsored by our, our joint friend, Trav Sherry here. So any shout out to any listeners from that community. Um, Scott blew me away the second I met him with uh, just his breadth of knowledge of general entrepreneurship and travel experiences. This guy is like someone I've never met before. I mean, he did a tuk-tuk across, I think, Mongolia or Africa. He's uh, fluent in Japanese. He, he's done some incredible, incredible things across the world, along with obviously ha um, having a successful business. So, Scott, I really appreciate you joining up on the podcast. You're our guest number three. So, congratulations. Nice. Thanks, Steve. Uh, hopefully, I'll uh, be contributing to what turns out to be a very, uh, very uh, amazing long-term podcast for you. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. So, so for the the guests who are maybe as familiar with yourself, I'd love to kind of take it back a little bit to early on, younger days of Scott, of when you were still kind of doing that digital nomad, maybe just trying to find your footing. Um, and let's talk about a little bit about your first business venture and what that was like. Yeah. So uh, I, oh, how far back to go? So I've started out kind of in the digital nomad scene, I would say in about 2002 when there wasn't really a term for it uh, and there weren't really the tools for it, but I did it anyway because I realized I wanted to travel and I had a company I just started uh, doing web development and IT. And so I was just looking to scratch my own itch as far as like, how do I make money and not let my customers know that I'm traveling on the other side of the earth? Um, and at that time, Skype had just come out and so like that was this huge tool, like to be able to use that to just make phone calls. I could attach it to my uh, my mobile phone and then it would just look like I was calling from my mobile phone, even though I'm in Japan skiing, um, which literally happened like late 2002. And uh, yeah, it, I think that was that was the beginning of it. You know, I, I was still in college at that time, uh, graduated in 2004. I was thinking like, OK, I'm just, you know, doing this web development thing uh, for the time being, get through school, make some money. Um, saves me from having to get like a, a part-time job. I was working at, at a big box retailer before that. And, um, by the time I graduated, uh, I was set to go to Japan because I'd studied there in my freshman year and I loved it so much. I learned Japanese and I, my whole goal throughout college is just graduate quick, go to Japan. Uh, a bunch of my friends were over there teaching English and whatnot. Uh, but by the time I graduated, uh, my company, you know, had been around for about three years and I was making decent money. 
Um, I was also in a relationship and I thought, why do I have to give all this up to basically extend my college life in Japan, which is basically what, what English teaching is for a lot of people over there. And uh, I decided not to do it. And instead, I, I remained in the U.S. and I kept building up my company for a few more years. Um, it's basically uh, you're just uh, websites and then eventually went into WordPress websites, SEO, uh, stuff like that. And I would continually uh, say it went from a few months a year traveling to six, seven, eight, nine, sometimes 10 months a year traveling. Um, I didn't have a place of my own. I, I, my mailing address, my voting address was my father's place you know, where I grew up in Michigan. And uh, so that saved me a lot of a lot of money, right? I didn't have to pay pay for that. My car was paid off in cash. Um, and so the money I got from that company, I would just use it to kind of, it's more of like what you term a lifestyle business. So it, it paid for me by myself to kind of like live the life I wanted, travel where I wanted, buy what I needed. Um, and I was you know, pretty comfortable. It slowly, you know, grew as far as like number of clients and whatnot uh, through the years. But then I realized somewhere around 2010, 2011, uh, that this is no longer the the thing for me. I was just kind of got, got a little burnt out. Um, a lot of that's my fault. Just didn't have proper systems in place to kind of manage things. And I was, you know, get turning in projects late and stuff like that. And there was one big project that just kind of imploded. Man. I mean, <laughs> you were before like uh, the, the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss. You were like the OG traveler, man. I can't yeah, even I mean, imagine. I, I'm sure tech was limited back then. So, what were you doing to kind of keep in contact with clients? Was it just Skype and whatever? Yeah. Like, were you I mean, like software? Yeah, no, no smartphones, right? Um, so, it was email and then Skype. Like, those are the two big tools. And uh, I managed to kind of you know, keep everyone in the dark that needed to be kept in the dark because some people would freak out if, you know, they're like, you know, I need my website done or I need, you know, I've got this problem with IT and you're over on the other side of the world. And, you know, like it, it was definitely, it's still kind of a thing today, but like back then people would, would legit freak out if if they knew, you know, you were not in the same town as them. You know, people would be like, oh, can we have like an in-person meeting? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm traveling to like California right now. <laughs> yeah, when I'm actually in Japan. Um, yeah, yeah. That combined with something like there was another program. I think it was uh, maybe back that was log me in. I was using so I could remotely log into computers and you know for my IT clients I could you know diagnose a lot of stuff remotely as long as they could turn the computer on and as long as they had uh, internet access. So that helped me with like the IT stuff. My my one company kind of did a little bit of both. Um, sure. You know, a lot of a lot of some IT stuff and and web development. That's awesome, man. So so you're doing this for a couple of years. It seems like you're either losing a little bit of passion or getting birds out and looking for a little bit of a transition. Is that, is that, is that right? Yeah. And, and actually the transition found me, I wasn't really looking for it. I just kind of stepped into it. Um, it was 2010. So around that same time, uh, and I went to Africa for the first time to Tanzania with my father. It was always on his bucket list to do a, a safari trip. And so he took me with him and we spent three, almost three weeks in Tanzania doing a, a safari with a bunch of other Americans as part of like a group, a package tour. And after that, I decided to stay another two and a half weeks or so on my own to visit Zanzibar and then also to climb Kilimanjaro with a friend that was flying in from uh, the UK to join me for that last week. And one of the guides during our trip, you know, while I was there with my father, he, he really stood out among the, the other two. So there's three guides total for a group of 16. You had three vehicles. You put like six, five, six people in each vehicle. Everyone was racing to his vehicle every morning to get into his vehicle because 
you know, they thought, and what I'm guessing is that they, they saw what I saw, which is that he was very passionate, very knowledgeable, great English, great sense of humor. Um, and his name was Josh. And it got to a point where I had to, I was the youngest person of the group by far. And so I would just let people go in his car. Yeah, I guess otherwise, you know, if it was a race to the car, I would beat them every time. You know, we're talking about a bunch of retirees. And, and so I, I gave everyone else a shot too. But at the end, um, he ended up helping me out with like logistics and whatnot. Remember, this is this is brief smartphone. Like, I mean, iPhone was out, but like smartphones weren't really a thing yet, 2010. And and so I had like a flip phone with me. And so uh, I had Josh's number and he helped me out with some of the logistics when it came to like getting to Zanzibar, taking the ferry, getting back, um, figuring out like pre and post Kilimanjaro. And uh, it just so happened like that last night we were there, my friend and I, after we had uh, done Kilimanjaro, he invited us over to his house. And I ended up meeting his wife and two kids at that time, now three. And I said, man, you know, you're really good at what you do. Have you ever thought about going off on your own and starting your own like safari business or something? And he's like, well, I, you know, I thought about maybe like starting my own like side company or like doing like a shop or something like that with, with you know, to make some, some side money. And I said, well, you know, I don't know anything about the tourism business besides the fact that like I am a tourist pretty often myself in different countries, uh, but I do love animals. And I see the potential here where I know how to build and, and manage uh, companies remotely. And I could do that. And I know your target market as well. I could do that. And you could do everything on the ground. We split everything 50-50. And, um, you know, if it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. Like, it's mostly my time I'm putting into it. And in from the get-go, you know, it's not like a lot of money. I know how to make the website. Um, I know about online marketing, everything. There's not really a lot I have to outsource. It's mostly my time. So I was like, you know, let's, let's give it a shot. And uh, by the end of that year, 2010, we decided to go into business together, picked a name, Pomoja Safaris, which means, uh, so safari actually means journey and Pomoja means together. So it's like travel together uh, in Swahili, which is the, the language there in, in East Africa. And uh, made a logo. You know, and by 2011, we were, we were in business. We got our first client and it ramped up slowly but surely because i was still like this is a side hustle i was doing the web development company still for a few more years and um it got to the point where i was like okay in order to get this to where i want it to be i'm gonna have to shut down or like pretty much shut down the web development and it to focus on this because i just don't have the time to do the two businesses together and now, were you so physically I made... going on these safaris on the early? I know you still do now, but were you going on every safari when this was no, first launched? No, no, no. So uh, he was managing that, you know. But I, it was just a, a matter of building out uh, the materials, like the itineraries and the brochures, and um, I would manage all the customer transactions and the money. And it was a, a lot of it was basically just like kind of learn as you went along. Like I didn't know anything. I had this. I had to ask Josh a lot of questions for every single thing we were doing. And eventually, I kind of found my way around where I felt, you know, comfortable to kind of do a lot of stuff without his input, you know, as far as the non on the ground stuff, you know, where we, he takes care of the, our guests, you know, from airport pickup to drop off. Um, but besides that, like, you know, it, it took a few years and then 2014, I remember thinking, okay, like let's do this. And, um, we invested some money in having a friend Ryan and his friend Calvin to come over from uh, Detroit, film like a promotional video with a drone and this is 2014, and it's still like very early days of drones. It was like the first DJI uh, Mavic that came out. And so he brought it over. He had never used it. We were like his beta test for this thing. But I knew he was a great photographer. He worked with my friend Mallory on a bunch of travel projects. Um, 
And so he came over for like a week, filmed this video. Yeah, we put the money into it, even though like we weren't making that much money out of the project yet. And I was like, okay, this is worth it. Like, let's invest this time, this money. And like, I, I kind of count that like the end of 2014 is a, the time where we kind of like switched priorities over and uh, decided like, okay, this is a real thing, you know? And like, that's three years later. Like it was a very slow buildup. <laughs> if, if I can ask the, the first year, what, what did you guys gross as like the, the first official year in business? Um, let's see. I was going to see if I've got a, uh, well, I don't want to mess up the web connection, but I was going to say like, I've got all the, all the spreadsheets and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah rough I, figures, a, man. I think it, I think in 2011 we had one solo client who Josh <laughs> had, had known before. So like he, that client, uh, he, he knew him through something, uh, a guy from France and he came over and I think we profited something like $2,500. Amazing. Best year ever. <laughs> I, you know, I always say this, man. In, in any business, the first dollar you make is the hardest hurdle because now it's like the validation of like all this hard work of like, oh my God, I actually have something. Like someone paid me for a service. Even though it's not the greatest amount of money, it's still like I, I have something that someone wants to do. Like my mm -hmm. first year was like $30,000 the first year. And I'm like, I, when I calculated the, my hourly rate, it was like $4.50 an hour. You know, something crazy. <laughs> like I'm putting so much time and effort to this i'm not really seeing the fruit but that, that's that's amazing man that i was you still kept it going because i think you saw something yeah. there and, and it was still tough i mean we did not make much more than that in 2012 2013 sure. yeah, yeah. 2014 um that's what we put in the catalyst of like the video of like okay the turning points are to happen yeah and, and you know i thought okay like i can either continue to skimp and like just put my time into it without putting money but i know it's going to grow even slower and so like let's go ahead. And I talked with Josh. I said, like, we have this opportunity. My friend is really good at video. Let's, uh, let's have him come over and, and do this. And even though it's going to probably like zero out our profits up until now, um, you know, cause we're paying him some money. Plus we're paying him, um, for both of their, their airline tickets and for him to ship his gear over and everything. And the cost of doing the safari itself, uh, for like a week. Yeah, so like it, it wasn't inconsequential, um, you know, especially for us at that time, not having a ton of money. So there was a big, it was a big jump. I, I remember like November, it was November 2014. I remember thinking like, all right, like let's go. Yeah, yeah, that was like the the, the launch pad. So I, when once you shot this video, this marketing video, and I know you have a little bit of a marketing background on it, did you immediately see like some kind of results? And how how did you? process the video did you launch it on different blog posts were you on different podcasts at the time which i know podcasts were still early stages like what was your intent to kind of get this video out to the world and how did you do it so no 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 and no um <laughs> we we initially like we didn't just put it out there and uh I, I think i put it on the website and edited it on our website on the on the home page uh, at least though like a 30 second clip of it i think the whole thing in total was like maybe two minutes the final edit but it gave me the um, like the courage to kind of approach people and be like, "Hey, we have a legit company. Like, look at look at this video because the video was so well done. Shout out to Ryan. Shout out to Calvin. Uh, the video was so so well done that um, I was like, "Wow! Like, I've got a company now. And like, it does stuff. And like, I am not ashamed to show this by any means. Like, this is legit. Like, no other company has uh, a marketing reel like this. Uh, it was like it was that good." Um, and funny enough, we had them back again two years ago 
to do a rebake of it. So that was 2014, right? And this is 2021. So I would say I like uh, eight it's, years it's later, exactly right? Like yeah, and and whoo, this one, this one's even better. I mean, we had them film seven different videos, and uh, it's, it's uh, you look at the 2014 video, and you're like, wow, big difference. But you know, even his his experience and whatnot in those uh, almost eight years, you know, huge. And now he's filming for like the NFL and Boeing and University of Michigan and stuff. So like he gave us another great deal to come on over and like, you know, um, I think like video is such a powerful tool. Um, you know, that's why we're on video right now. Right. Uh, that it's really easy. It's kind of like a business card. Like I would send someone an email and be like, Hey, click here to see like a little preview of what you're going to experience. And I kind of used it like that. Uh, so like, it was kind of like a, an awesome business card. Plus it gave me that, that courage to kind of approach people more, um, and to show them because like my website, I was like, oh, it's, a, it's all right, you know, but like this could be changed. It's always like, uh, you know, I'm kind of a perfectionist. I was always like, oh, I could always like add things to do this. And so I was kind of hesitant to give out the website. I was like, oh, was not all the itineraries are on there, blah, blah, blah. But like the video, I was like, I could put that out there. It seems like you're really good at making connections with the right partners to everyone where, where it's like all, all, all ships rise to kind of together with the operator uh, boots on the ground, with your videographer team. And also, I've met you in person. You have this inherent ability to make people feel extraordinarily welcome when in your presence. Like, you ask genuine questions, give people, like, you, you put your arm around the shoulder. Like, you're, you're just a generally good guy to be around. So is that... Do you think your communication has played a huge role? Because obviously, you have a really strong background on the web development um, and in, in general entrepreneurship and sales and marketing. What... Like, how did you know what specific market i assume you're targeting mainly uh, northern america and p- potentially europe is that your client base yeah i'd say at, at least like 80 percent um american they got a few canadians in there but you know um and then you know uh, the rest is just a smattering of uh, a few from asia a few from like israel a few from u.s or from europe uh, but yeah I, i'd say we we target the u.s yeah gotcha and as as far as like uh the journey like Walk me through a little bit of the offerings that your safaris undertake. Are you doing like the big five? Or like, like I know that you you have this excellent operator who's boots on the ground. You take a, you're taking on these safaris. What would you say if someone had to book a service? Is like this is it? You guys don't miss out on this type of uh, package, so to speak. Right, right, right. Um, so differentiation is is tricky in this market. There are, and I went through and I researched this. There's like over 500 competitors. I made this whole like 36 column spreadsheet, and I like researched all this stuff. Like when I, when I had less things to do back in the day, um, like this is this is you know how I tricked myself into thinking I was getting work done. <laughs> it's just like doing this this crazy uh, research project. So there's a lot of competition. Uh, a lot of them are have like the pretty much the same itinerary. Uh, so. It's up to us to educate our potential guests about why we're better. And there's only a few ways in which we can better be better because there's uh, something that a lot of people don't don't know, even my travel agent friends I was talking to the other day, um, is that everyone's using has the same ability to use guy the same guides, the same properties, the same itinerary, the same vehicles. However, I would say most companies, um, I know this through experience, most companies over there try to uh, cut costs wherever they can. They're very much not thinking long-term. And so if they could save 50 bucks a day by getting that 25-year-old Land Cruiser that will probably make it, um, 
they'll do that if they can get a more junior guide that doesn't have as good of English or as good uh, much experience or knows as much about the animals. They'll do that if they can you know shave a little bit of money off the accommodation. Uh, you know, because like you you don't know you're like you're you're buying this package, and for most people like they don't even ask like where they're staying because they're just buying like eight day package. You know, like and they don't you know they're just like okay like I'm in. Um, but there's a big difference uh, amongst all these, you know, the cars, the people, the accommodation. And so we think long-term, we want to build relationships with uh, the properties. We want to build relationships with our guides. The guides, by the way, even the ones working for the highest quality, uh, what are thought of as the highest quality providers, let's say Abercrombie and Kent, Talk, um, like places like that, that you would, you would think like, okay, like these are the big guys and they're charging, I'd say minimum 10 grand a person for safari. Like you think of a safari and lay people think of safari. They're like, okay, like buckle this thing. I want to do it when I'm retired, when I've got enough money to do it. Um, and that doesn't have to be the case because we're all using the same guides. Like they're using the same guides as we are, except we're actually providing a better experience because they're, you know, either cutting corners or they've got so much business. They don't care about, you know, the little details that we're going after. So we make sure that we've got the best vehicles. So like all of our vehicles are maintained after every single trip. Um, you know, we like never have breakdowns or flat tires or anything like that. Uh, you know, because you're in this vehicle when you're on a safari uh, for eight, 10, 12 hours a day. So unless it's comfortable and it doesn't break down and, you know, lose you hours in the day from, you know, trying to get another vehicle or be transferred somewhere else, uh, that could really impact you. Uh, the most important thing is the guides, because this guide you're with even more than you're in that vehicle, because that guide is driving your vehicle. He's finding the animals. Um, he's talking to you all the time. If you've got somebody who doesn't have a good attitude, doesn't know what they're doing, um, lazy, uninspired, uh, it comes through. Like I've talked to people where they've had that happen. Uh, you want somebody who's like your friend. You want to you want to be just as excited at the end of the trip about like your time with this person as you are like the animals. Like that's our goal. Like we want to make sure that we get the very best guides. Like we, I say like the top 10% uh, of guides with 10, generally even more years of experience on the ground. They've got experience working for those high end operators. Uh, so they know, you know, how to treat our guests properly. Um, you know, they've got, they're, they're funny, they're knowledgeable. They've been to college. You know, it, we, we look at all this stuff because like, I think, honestly, like more than itinerary, which everyone can drive along that itinerary, like it's the guide. It's the guide that makes or breaks it. And so we want to make sure that like we pay our guides well and we treat them well and we keep them. You know, we, if we if you pay them well and you treat them well, like they will keep working with you. Uh, and unfortunately, like a lot of the competition doesn't do that. No, it, it's sounding like that customer service and the experience is be all end all in your business right now where you want right. to, you want your client base to really walk away and saying that was the best trip of my life because in most cases this is a bucket list like going on a safari um and, and being able to venture and see like these type of animals be close encounters and to your point like being being felt like they have a connection with their guides they feel like they're safe taken care of they're at good accommodations with that being said i mean what, what is your ideal client avatar um, are you targeting families are you tra targeting corporations like what is your ideal client base and and um how can we help you kind of get after that 
Yeah, so uh, I would say a lot. Of, a lot of companies target uh, retirees. They're, they're the ones generally have like the money and the time to do uh, an extended safari, you know, a week or two weeks or something like that. Uh, I want it to be more accessible. Like, you know, we we definitely have our share of, of retirees and, and older guests, and like we we more than welcome them. But I also want to make it so that younger people, uh, maybe couples in their thirties or forties, or uh, young families and whatnot, can come on our trips also. Uh, and so because of, uh, we have a distributed team and we don't have a lot of costs as far as like, you know, we're not shipping out thick color brochures, you know, willy nilly to people all around the country, trying to get them to come with us. Uh, like a lot of companies do, uh, we're able to save that cost. We pass it on to our guests and we're able to offer, you know, the same experience as uh, a company that charges twice as much. And, you know, we could stay at the same properties, you know, but also if, somebody wants to do it really luxe, we could do that as well. And really the biggest difference between, you know, a, a regular safari and a luxe safari is, is just the lodging. Um, that's it. And I'm going to probably guess the answer here, but are you spending any money on ads at this point? Or is this all word of mouth or kind of organic marketing and referrals? Yeah. So it's, uh, we're, we, we have spent uh, a total of $0 on advertising and marketing in 13 years. Uh, it's not the quickest way to get a company rolling, but uh, that's what we did. And and honestly, the organic growth was nice, the slow growth, because it gave both Josh and I time to figure things out as we went along. There were a lot of things even he didn't know, despite working in the in the industry for almost 15 years at that time, he didn't know how to run his own company, you know? And so there was right. stuff that, that he had to learn as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy we had that, because if we were just in, uh, flooded with a bunch of people right from the get-go, um, you know, it, it may have uh, not ended up so great, uh, you know, as we're scrambling to figure out how to do things. So, uh, yeah, we have, we have spent nothing. Um, we just, as of this year, uh, have started working with uh, a select few travel advisors, uh, you know, AKA travel agents, uh, who are selling our tours and we give them a, a commission, uh, you know, based on, um, on the package. Wow. So... It, it seems like you and Josh almost have, uh, ever read the book Rocket Fuel, where you have someone who's the visionary yeah. and someone who's like the operator? It seems like Josh is this operator and you're just like the visionary who can see long-term goals, get the client base in and interested and he's the executioner. Um, yeah, that's, that's, it, that's uh, having, having been in business for a while, like I, I can see like that's where my strength lies. I'm, I'm the guy who's like the front man. I'm the guy who starts a business, uh, comes up with all the ideas, you know, puts the, the groundwork in place. But like, do I really want to, uh, you know, be the one doing all that and in the weeds? Not so much. And I think that's really why the, you know, the long-term viability of the web development and IT company didn't really match up because I was doing everything. Um, I feel like I, it's a lot easier for me to be that person and and, and then for a business partner uh, or employee to do the other things like uh, like Josh is doing right now. Yeah, absolutely, man. I I in the same in my business. I'm definitely more of the visionary type, sales, marketing driven, the ideas, and and I can do the operations, but it sucks away my energy. It's not enjoyable. Like it's one of those skill sets that I have. Right. It's just it it doesn't get the juices going. Um, I want to get a little tactical here because I I can't imagine how much operation goes into and moving parts are to have someone who books. A safari trip to them showing up and then going through all those motions, make sure they don't get eaten by lions, <laughs> and, and returning them home safely with a cool story. 
how you uh, like how are you tracking all these these uh these tasks so someone books a safari like what systems are you using to make sure that they're getting a good experience from day one like what kind of software are you using let's let's get into the nitty-gritty here um actually nothing crazy uh because our, our use case is so specific and there there have been over the last few years like some companies that have tried to make like safari software and whatnot especially companies based in east africa nairobi and whatnot that have seen this market and have kind of come out with some stuff i looked into some of it didn't really didn't really inspire me um and so we're you know we've we've refined a series of spreadsheets google sheets mostly throughout the years and um we could even you know we're constantly refining them we're we're doing better ones you know doing you know just kind of upgrading our spreadsheets as we go along as far as like cost tracking and trip tracking and, and whatnot um and client tracking like crm type uh but yeah the other there may be a better way to do this but it doesn't really exist like i i had a friend so there's there's plenty of like travel planning software not much travel planning software that applies to multi-day trips or multi-day tour companies uh which is odd you, you might think but uh you know it's to the point where my friend in australia owns a company and uh he had to spend like the last year and a half or two years working from scratch on a system to fit his company. Uh, and he does multi-day tours all around the world, a little bit different than us, but, um, and yeah, he had to just build it in an air table and had this other like, uh, uh, UX on top of it or, or UI on top of it. And, uh, took him a long, long time. I, I think he, he's got it to where he needs it right now, but, um, I'd love to do that, but at the same time, like I don't have that um, time or expertise or desire to really like want it to go there. Really when... like there's much of a need because it looks like you have something that's working right now, and it's not like it you is... guys are doing yeah, but I, every I, day. I feel like um, juggling like multiple spreadsheets. I've got you know the pinned uh, browser tabs open on my browser at all times, so I can just kind of go in there and I find which spreadsheet it is. Like it, it works. It's a little bit clunky. Uh, I, I feel like it could be better, but I'd also feel like the off-the-shelf software solutions either don't have uh, a lot of features I would need, or some of them, like you know, like a Salesforce or something, is just way too big, you know, and and a lot of times expensive for what we need. This sounds like it's a good business that we can start here, or someone listening. That, like if you if you're listening, start a really good Safari base based uh and or even use, multi day uh, tour company, multi day tour company yeah. in general. My friend's company isn't like the operator, um, but they run trips and like I, I would say, you know, I can't use the software because it's all built around his particular business, very niche. Um, but something like that that multi day tour companies uh, can use to do like a, you know be a CRM. Um, plan their trips and everything and probably has like modules that you can like add or or take out from from the program to you know depending on like what kind of uh business that you do like that'd be awesome yeah yeah absolutely man so i i assume when you first launched the business you've probably increased prices to now because you've gotten really good at what you do now and actually yeah. have a system in place so i was this is one of my favorite questions your first year you said you <laughs> you brought home 2500 bucks how are we looking now at, at the safari company so, so actually the prices haven't gone up much. Like, you know, we, we've had a little bit of, uh, we, we've only basically gone up with inflation and, and any additional fees that have okay. been tacked on by the government and stuff like, stuff like that. Uh, you yeah, know, we started off, uh, wanting to hit a sweet spot where it wasn't, you know, we're not like a budget camping safari kind of thing, sure. which exists. Uh, we found that that's not really a great market to target and it's not really a great 
fit for most people um, because you don't really get the full experience. You, you have to like, that's go the young, to camp. I feel before. like that's the young backpacker, twenty something. Yeah, old. exactly. And right, we're not yeah. targeting that. Yeah, like that's that's right. not our game. You know, we want to be mid to high range. And uh, in order to do that, like you know, we we started off and we said, okay, we want to target five hundred dollars per person per day. Like that is our oh, very fair baseline. Yeah, and so you know, people think, oh, you got to spend like ten grand in safari. We're like, okay, well, you know what, we could do ten uh, grand safari for half of that. Um, and the trick is to let people know that it'll be you know basically just as good as a ten thousand dollars safari. Maybe the accommodation instead of five star, it'll be four star. Um, but everything else, like it'll be just as good. And so that's, that's like the trick that we've had, like over the years is kind of refining our message to, to teach people that, yeah, you can still do this even when you're younger, you don't have as much money. Um, you know, cause I'd say the majority of people I talk to, they, they have it on their bucket list, right? They're like, I want to do a safari at some point. Like whenever I'm in a room and I talk to people, they're like, I want to do that at some point, you know? And so it's, it's an easy thing to sell at least, uh, at least once to, to a lot of people. Um, but you know, back to your question. Um, 2020 and 2021 crushed us, uh, just like many other travel companies. We, we barely got any, um, any money coming in during those years, had to grab some government loans and stuff, uh, to stay afloat. Luckily our overhead's very low, uh, so that, that sufficed and we were able to do fundraisers to support some of our staff and, and people that had helped us out through the years that were, you know, doing really bad over there and didn't have money for food and whatnot. Um, and so we, uh, we went from 2019 was our highest year. And then 2020 was looking amazing. We had all these like different uh, itineraries out, you know, sent out, getting ready to, to book some trips and then nothing. Um, our last trip was in, was in March and the, the people barely got out. Like, <laughs> like they finished their tour and like a few days later, like all the flights stopped. So it was perfect timing. Um, and then, uh, you know, we had like some, some adventurous people. I, I didn't want to sell trips necessarily i didn't want to be see you know looked at as irresponsible trying to get people to travel abroad and even though tanzania was open they were only closed for two months they're only closed uh april may or so of, of 2020 but i didn't want to be that guy so but there were some people that came to me and they're like hey are you still operating i'm like yeah and i was like hey if you feel comfortable going or like you want to go like i'll put it together i'm just not going to put it out there that you know we're we're trying to push people to travel right at this point so uh we did have a little bit of money coming in 2020 2021 um, then fast forward to 2022 last year, uh, we had our best year ever and 2023, it's looking like we're going to double it. So, um, I'm not, I'm not sure of the money yet, uh, but we're like solidly going to be like solid mid six figures, uh, like, um, you know, business. And so it's and like, this is still very early in the game. There's a lot of things that we can do to refine what we've got and we you know we just finished up posting all those amazing videos we have uh we just started working with travel advisors who knows we might actually put some money into advertising like <laughs> google adwords or right. facebook ads or something right. um and, and see how that man. goes yeah I, I, and so like with what we're doing you know we're just doing a company pretty much based on referrals um and we just came off of two awful years so what? For that to skyrocket, and obviously there's like revenge travel and whatnot. You know, people like they're like, all right, now I'm going to travel to everywhere yeah, because I wasn't able to. Do it hard, right? Yeah, so that's helping us, of course. But um, I would say, you know, for for 2022 to be our best year ever was unexpected, um, and 2023 to double it like is awesome. And I'm looking to do that again in 2024. Um, yeah, that dude, 
I love that stuff, man. I love I love success stories like this because this is amazing. It's it's taken you uh, many many years to kind of re- reach this point with two years of no income, and I I was laid off in COVID too. Like I I went from nine to five to nothing. Honestly, it was a blessing because it, it got me into my own business, and this is mm-hmm. why we're speaking right now. But yeah, those are difficult years to to, uh, to get through. So, would you say moving forward, the the plan is to continue to kind of grow your base and just and just do either more so far as you want to do you want to go outside of Tanzania and maybe explore Kenya or other areas as well? And then I want to this is a secondary question. I love to to know the difficulties of like taxation and like how you handle payroll for uh, you know some of the local guys boots on the ground there too. Uh, so we, uh, so as far as where we operate, we're always going to be based in Tanzania because that's where Josh lives, um, in, in Arusha in the North. And that's kind of the gateway of, to safaris uh, for many people in, in Tanzania that fly to Tanzania. So we'll always be based there. We, we have, uh, partnerships with companies in, uh, Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, Zambia, uh, and so we're able to offer trips uh, to other places as well, or combined trips. A lot of people will do like Kenya and Tanzania together, or they'll do like a gorilla trek before and at, or after uh, a safari, a traditional safari in Tanzania. And so we're able to to do those trips. And you know, we've worked with with some of these partners for many years, and uh, so we know that their quality is is up there, you know, on par with ours. Um, as far as the the payrolls and stuff like that, it's actually pretty easy. Um, most people just, uh, they charge, uh, like we've got, we have an accountant over there. And for instance, like he charges us uh, a monthly retainer fee so that he can do our books. And then um, at the end of the year, we, you know, we do our taxes for, for uh, Tanzania and he does all those and looks over that, does like an audit. And there's another charge for that. Uh, for any other employee, it's usually just like a monthly, uh, once a month payment kind of thing. And I leave that, you know, and we'll talk about the pricing, you know, me and my partner, but uh, it's it's pretty simple. Like, you know, they handle their own taxes over there and, you know, we just put it in a ledger, you know, as a business expense. Um, at the end of the year, any taxes that we pay in Tanzania can be deducted from any taxes that we owe in the U.S. because we are uh, incorporated in the U.S. and Tanzania. Um, and we have to do that because... Uh, in order to basically accept credit card payments, it, it was the same over 10 years ago as it is now. Uh, you have to have a company incorporated uh, abroad. And of course, I'm in the US, so we incorporated in the US because they, they, the the, pay, the financial system, you know, it's, it's gotten better. There have been some strides. It uh, It's still lagging quite a bit behind. Um, there's no cash apps. Uh, there is like Mpesa and whatnot that the locals use. But as far as like international cap cash apps, like um, like Cash App or Venmo or something like that, that we may have PayPal, um, none of that works there. So uh, it's a little bit tricky. So what we have to do is get the payments, um, usually by a credit card, sometimes a debit card, to our U.S. account, and then I have to do an international wire transfer over to Tanzania. Uh, so it's basically trip costs, uh, estimated trip costs, plus uh, partner's share of of the profits because we split everything 50-50, minus any expenses or money we're putting away for uh, for any business expenses uh, in a different account. Um, and then wire it over to him and then he gets in his bank account and he's able to pay our providers and whatnot. And so it, it's definitely a clunky system um, that unfortunately has not gotten a ton easier, but some things have, you know, like you could pay uh, for park fees and stuff like that. If you're a tour operator, you could pay uh, uh, online now and you know, it's less like cash-based. When we started, it was very cash-based. You had to like go and just like 
get cash in the bank and like deliver cash here and deliver cash there. It was right, very it's all And uh, my my mother was Moroccan, so I'm very familiar with the how bureaucratic it can be. And uh, I remember we were going on a tour there, and we had to like pay someone off to get like whatever permit we needed to go into like the Sahara Desert. It's gotten a lot better now, but uh, have you ever had an experience with any, any type of corruption or someone t- trying to shake you guys down to get into areas? I would imagine that this probably this particular tourist spot is they have a, probably a well organized machine. I would hope at this point, but yeah, um, honestly, uh, doing business in Tanzania is great. Uh, it used to be a British colony and before that, a German colony, uh, and uh, I think before that, a British colony again. So. Uh, there, the language of business uh, is English. Uh, the national language is, is Kiswahili. So, but the language of business and language, of course, of tourism is English. So that makes doing business very easy. Um, all the like paperwork to sign to start a company and everything is is in English. Uh, so that's great for me. Um, and the level of corruption is at our level, we don't see uh, corruption. Uh, there, there is none um, that we deal with, like on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you know, the most I've seen sometimes, um, I've seen people uh, on occasion like pay off a policeman to get out of a ticket. But like, sure. like you're like we're talking very low level. <laughs> low level, yeah, not like yeah. high level. <laughs> right, yeah, and I'm sure know, like there's corruption in every government. I'm sure it's there. Oh, um, nice as, it's but as, Yeah, yeah, like uh, yeah, in the U.S. as well. Like it doesn't matter what country. Like there's corruption. Uh, it's just as a fact of life, being human, but. Uh, we don't uh, run into it, so yeah, I've, I've got to say, you know, uh, it's it's great. You know, I, I hear things, you know, about the government. Depending, you know, the government's changed over a few times since we've operated there, um, and and there's always, you know, people always have something to say about the current the current government. But uh, yeah, we've it's been relatively painless uh, compared to, I'm sure, like a lot of other countries. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure, man. Um, and it, uh, one one question I have is this is more my own curiosity. Uh, and this could, I think, could help anyone who's going on safaris. What is appropriate to tip your porter? Like, what's like a, considered like a, a good value? Because these guys really bust their butt, and like, they really, really are like, like they make this whole thing happen, especially on the hikes to Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, with with our treks up Kilimanjaro and with safaris, uh, a few years ago, I think 2018, we decided to incorporate all gratuity. So that goes towards our mission of attracting and keeping the best talent is uh, if they know how much they're going to get paid and they get paid that in a timely manner, they're going to be happy because a lot of companies don't do that. Uh, so we let them know like, hey, you will make this much money off the tip, uh, off the trip. And we tell our guests that uh, base gratuity is included in all of uh, the adventures that we offer. If you feel like any team member's gone above and beyond the call of duty, feel free to have some money on hand to, to give them a little bit extra. You know, that applies uh, to the safari as well as, uh, as Kilimanjaro. Like, you know, there's sometimes like a guy in Kilimanjaro, like at the end of the, the day, he'll like take your boots and he'll like, you know, brush them off and clean them up and everything, get all the mud out of them. You know, like they don't have to do that. But like some some guys will take it upon themselves. I'm sure that they know that there may be a cash reward in it for them at the end of the trip. But that's fine. You know, hey, they're, they're being entrepreneurial about it. Um, but I let them know, like, you know, bring, bring some cash just in case it, you know, you feel called to, to give some money to somebody who you thought like really made your trip special. Uh, but I tell them like, we're paying them a very competitive wage. And if you don't bring any money to tip them or anything, like they're not going to be sad. They're not going to try to push you to give them tips or anything like that. Uh, like, you know, they're, they're set. They're, they're happy with what they're getting. That's great, man. That's great. That's really honorable too. It's upfront. I think you'll have employee retention for sure that way. 
Here, so this I is know this from experience. Like I, I climbed Kilimanjaro, you know, before I had my own company. Um, I dealt with that, like having to bring a bunch of like dollars with me in different envelopes and awkwardly passing it out to each like group of of like the porters and the chefs and the guides as they were like standing in yeah. front of me at the like last day. You know, I had to carry all this cash with me, and like it was it was awkward and it was icky. I didn't like it. Um, and so I'm trying, and like, I know most other people will feel that way. And, and also secondarily, many uh, people over there love Americans because Americans tip, they tip, tip, tip. However, a lot of other cultures, and it's not their fault. Like they're not used to tipping or they don't tip at all. Um, they may know that they have to tip, but like, it's not gonna be as much. Right. And so that's how we ensure that everyone gets a, a very competitive wage is that we, we build it right in. Um, and we don't, you know, we don't make the client feel uncomfortable or doing, you know, like that whole charade at the, at the end of Kilimanjaro or at the end of your safari. No, and even me, when I travel abroad, I'm still tipping, even if I'm in a restaurant in Morocco or France or whatever it is, even if it's not part of the culture, just because I, it's it's the appreciation of, if a, of a good service there, especially these guys. I mean, they're busting their butts in like really, really intense temperatures, I'm, sh- I'm sure too. So well-deserved. Yeah, so the, I'm the sure uh, there, there's there's a lot of people that that do end up tipping a little bit extra, and you know that that's that's fine. But you know, I, I want to make I stress that you know it's not you do not need to tip anybody. You know, like I, I want to make sure that great. all of our guests know that. <laughs> yeah, and it eases their burden to your point of like not having to like carry this chunk of change on them of like oh well I want to give it to this guy, but can you spread it to the chef too? And they all exactly. Yeah, a, a lot of people like. For Kilimanjaro, like I didn't have enough like small bills, and then like, hey, can you like change this? And then it's like, none of the cash apps work, so you can't do that. And checks don't yeah, work. No and so right. <laughs> people like people would like not have the cash, or like they couldn't find an ATM, or they don't have the bank card. The bank card doesn't work, or they'd have to like go home and they're like, hey, can I send you a check to put in your account? And then you send the money over to Tanzania, and then someone in Tanzania finds this guy after the fact and like gives them the money, like. It's not. It's not like a super easy uh, process. That's why we just we just include it. <laughs> yeah, that's. I would be one hundred percent with you there, Scott. Um, so looking back now, if you had to start over and, and do this from day one again, you and Josh just connected. What would you do different? And what can someone else who wants to get into the service business, not necessarily safaris, but if they want to get into something where they're providing a service where it's not a brick and mortar store per se, what would you tell that person? And how would you do it differently? I mean, I, I'd say if you have the money, um, definitely invest it in in trying out like a few different ad campaigns on Google or Facebook, depending on like what audience you want to read or, or, or sell to. Um, you know, if you got the money and if you don't know how to do it, you know, it may be worth paying someone that knows how, because otherwise you're just going to waste the money um, trying different ad campaigns when you don't know what you're doing, you know, because it can get pretty complicated uh, when you get in the weeds with, with those systems. Um you know, that's, that's always great when you have, when you start a business, you've got money to invest into it. But like at the time, <laughs> neither myself nor Josh had that money. And so, you know, we just went forward and like eventually we were able to build it up via referrals. But like, that would have been great had we been able to do that, uh, especially because at the time, like the cost per click of uh, a lot of these advertisers was, was pretty low and the competition was also pretty low. It would have been great to, to get in a little bit earlier and, and build up the company quicker. But then just goes right back to what I said about like, if we got an onslaught of business, would we have been able to keep up with it? Not sure. Yeah, exactly. I, I was the the marathon approach definitely works for for small business are, uh, business owners that aren't venture capital backed or have like some kind of private equity shareholder coming in. Um, I think you're doing it right. I think that you guys will for sure be very successful. I know you're going to hit that seven figure mark soon, man, because you're, <laughs> you're you're getting there. And, and it's not even just obviously for us. It's not about the money. It's about creating these experiences for our clientele and. 
you seem to have such a great passion making sure it's curated, making sure the trucks are well supplied, making sure that as soon as they come off the plane, they're greeted. Um, having like the lodging taken care of, really making it where like they, the only thing that they're there for is to experience the wildness of Africa, right? Um, I, I know I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait in the next year or two. I'm definitely going to be part of one of those tours. I have a uh, a two month old now, so he's got to grow up a excuses, little bit. Excuses, um, excuses. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> it, it might be a little, I, I, I joked with my wife. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just go solo. I'm like, I met this really cool yeah. guy, Scott. He's like, well, what about me? I want to go on a safari. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but maybe like when the kids are 10. She's like, no, <laughs> I want to do it that's now. What Tra- that's what Travis had to do. Uh, Travis Shea from, from uh, Location Indy, yeah, you yeah. know, like he, he went, she left we put her. together a special trip for, for the Camp Indy, for Location Indy, his, his community uh, last year. And uh, and he went and, and his, his wife, Heather, stayed home, watched the kid. And then this time uh, someone was, was posting in a Facebook group and said, oh, like it'd be great if you could do like a, uh, trip for location in the camp. And he was like, well, actually, I already did one. We did. Uh, I was yeah, like, yeah. Trav, you up for another one? And and then he's like, yeah, my, my wife might have dibs on that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's funny enough. I was, I've been preparing for Kilimanjaro for a little bit. So this past winter, I climbed up uh, Mount Washington in New Hampshire in the middle of winter. So probably a little bit too extreme. <laughs> it's pretty extreme. Yeah. I mean, like it may approximate like the last, uh, the last go up uh up for summit day you know where you're going from fifteen thousand to nineteen thousand plus feet but yeah it, i mean it can get cold it can get cold and snowy and whatnot you never know what you're going to get um but um for the most part it's it's uh i always tell people it's not like uh you know, it's not like a, a killer climb you know it's it's not tactical there's no crampons no ice picks um it's like uh, you're hiking for days generally we do an eight day trip six up one and a half down uh, and uh, you're, except for summit day, it's not too hard. Uh, elevation sickness can sometimes get to people and um, you know cause them to stop climbing or, or, or whatnot. But um, you know we've gotten everyone up and down the mountain safely, uh, knock on wood. Uh, and this summit day, summit day sucks. I just tell people, I just, I just straight out, straight up. I'm just like, you know, summit day is going to suck. You, you just have to let yourself know, hey, I have to put up with a few hours of suck. And I'm going to get to the top. I'm going to have an awesome story and an amazing achievement that I could tell for the rest of my life. Um, but you got to put up with like a half day of suck. <laughs> as far as like endurance levels, like would you say you're, you're walking eight hours a day as you're, as you're approaching oh, um, the summit? I would or, say yeah, six, seven hours a day. Um, you kind of go around the peak. You up, down, up, down. You go up to a higher elevation to acclimate yourself, your body. You sleep at a lower elevation so you get better sleep. And you just kind of do that for a few days around the mountain. And then you, you summit it. And then yeah, you go down pretty quick, you know, uh, you, you, you lose something like, uh, 10,000 feet or so in a day and a half. <laughs> wow. That's pretty intense. Now, if, um, it, what, what, would um, what pathway would you take? I know that there's a couple of different routes to kind of approach. We the always, what would you we take, usually like your... do, oh. and, we, and we always promote, uh, Lamosho because it's got okay. the less number of people. It's, it's a longer trip. It's eight days. The cost factor isn't really like I, I tell people if you got the amount if you got the days to do it do it because the cost isn't like a ton more than doing like a seven day trip up a different uh, different path like the Morongo or Machane routes, uh, but it, it has less people and especially in the first few days um, and also it allows your body more time to acclimate to the elevation and the more days you have the higher the success rate is of summiting so that's why I tell people you know you can technically do it in six I've even heard five days although I think that's nuts. Um, you can do it in six days, you can do it in seven days. If you got eight days, just do it. It's, yeah, it's like a few hundred bucks more. Like 
you're going, you're getting all the way over to Africa. You spend a lot of time and money and air flight, but like, just do the eight days. Trust me. Hey, I've, I've done it. I've climbed it. I've, I've climbed it for the fifth time, uh, later this year. And, uh, you know, so I, even though it's nothing compared to a lot of the porters and guides on there, like, it's a lot for, for, uh, uh, foreigner like me. So <laughs> no, you're good, man. You're good. Well, I, I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much for, for hopping on and sharing about your experiences. Um, if someone wants to book a safari, someone wants to go climb Kilimanjaro, what's the, the best way to find you? Yeah, you just find us at pomojasafaris.com. It's P-A-M-O-J-A, pomojasafaris.com. And uh, you can find us at, at pomojasafaris on all the social media. I'd say we, we probably use uh, Instagram the most. Awesome, man. And I know you you do you typically do one or two safaris a year. So uh, when are you planning to personally go uh, if people are interested? Because I'm sure everyone wants to get to know you now. Yeah, I uh, I always go on our friends and family trip at the end of the year. So I, I generally spend November, December over there every year to kind of work on the business and, and to do one, two, three uh, friends and family uh, trips and also climb Kilimanjaro. So I always uh, always do that. Generally, the, the friends and family trip starts the Saturday after Thanksgiving, uh, U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. So and then lasts for, for eight days. I might be there with you this year, man. We'll I hope see. so. I've been trying to get you to come for years now. Don't let that baby sidetrack you. I know. I know. No more excuses, <laughs> man. I uh, I, I got to make it happen. Otherwise, I never will. But uh, Scott, <laughs> I, I really, really appreciate this. Thank you so much. I wish you the best of um, of everything on life. I'm so it's so cool that you're working pretty much remotely these days, uh, pretty much forever. Um, yeah. So again, thank you so much, man. Thanks for coming on the show, and I hope to see you soon, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into Service Business Success with Class. Are you craving more strategies to supercharge your business growth? You can connect with me at successwithclass.com or on my Instagram at Stevie Class. And remember, when you hit subscribe, it's a win-win. You'll get your hands on all the latest tips and you'll be supporting the show too. Thanks again for joining. Until next time.